Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. We were recording Sunday night around 7 o'clock central. Matt, how are you doing? A little disappointed, man. I uh, I finally got burned, I think, feel like this week by rostering so many prospects in our Dynasty League. You know, as we've talked about before, we don't have the largest bench space. And um, as it currently sits this week, I'm rostering Dominguez, Riley Green, O'Neill Cruz, Corbin Carroll, with a couple guys like Mackenzie Gore that are kind of unusable with my roster. So I kind of lump Gore into that prospect um, stashing and end up losing what looks like by about a point. Uh, Nimmo got a base hit, so it's at, it's up to three points now. So not as hard to swallow, but I did have to start Seiyu Suzuki this week, who did not play. And again, man, Dynasty League, sometimes you got to make some sacrifices. And uh, this week it was definitely a loss. And that's, that's tough because on our last podcast, we did talk about Keegan Thompson as a viable sparp as well as mm. Jeffrey Springs. And one of those panned out, one of them did not. I ended up on the better end of the spectrum with Jeffrey Springs, but you decided to go ahead and stream Keegan Thompson on a double start. Didn't go too well. He only ended up with three and two-thirds over those two starts, giving up 10 earned runs and got you what appears to be negative seven-some points. So that I'm going to attribute is the downfall here rather than the prospects. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a combination, right? Like if I were to swap out Suzuki, say Riley Green's up, I win this week, right? Um, but I got cute. You know, I have Valdez on the bench. Valdez has had a string of quality starts, and I was thinking to myself, hey, you know what? Valdez's string's eventually going to end. His pitch count has been a little bit higher in the last few starts is actually his previous start to this week. He, I think he only threw 86 pitches, but did have that complete game before that. So I was like, let's get cute. Let's start Keegan Thompson. Keegan Thompson, you suck. Um, flat out going to say it. And it's, it's frustrating too, because this week I sent you his baseball savant and I was like, Oh, look how great he is. Look how much of the red there is. Well, that's a underlying misleading, uh, information there, you know, just isn't good. He's just not flat out good. So, well, we kind of expected it going into the Yankees game. I knew he was going to get blown up in today's start, but it was the Baltimore, yeah, the Baltimore start that game. Really, yeah. really surprised me on that one. So I don't know what happened. Maybe he's tipping his pitches. We'll have to find out. But either way, what is exciting is you and I get to play each other for the first time starting next week. Although I do feel you have the edge on me as you have three double starts and I have zero. Would yeah, you agree? Do you feel pretty good about this one? I mean, I, I feel pretty good, but I, I would say in comparison to years past, I feel really good because I finally have a couple bats that actually do something. Uh, you know, I have Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez this year, both top five in Woba, top five in ISO, top five in power. You know, like I'm, I'm confident because I actually have guys that show up on a, week, on a weekly basis, but definitely both of our teams are kind of in flux here. You know, you've decided to sell off some of your more expensive assets for more controllable, cheaper pieces in the current standing. Uh, Frankie Montas being one of those. And I think it'll be interesting to see how your team performs against me without some of the heavy hitters that you've had in the past. Um, and you know, so, so yeah, since we're kind of, I'm going to say you have the lead with these double starts. Let's say they account for 40, 50, 50 points. I think I'm going to lose to you. But I think I will lose by less than forty points. I mean, I would hope so. If that, if you don't lose by, if you lose by more than forty, 
I'm expecting like Monday or Tuesday morning to wake up to half your team traded. <laughs> well, that could happen. Just an way. absolute <laughs> catastrophe. You know, Acuna's gone. Scherzer's gone. Montas is gone. Kirby's gone. And, and you're just, you know, you're rostering a bunch of kids from AAA here, and you're like, all right, I, re- I got to rebuild. You know, it's time. So with with everything said, what? How much do you project yourself beating me by? Um, I mean, I'll just go ahead and project where my, I think my my statistical um, numbers will be next week. I'd say I score probably three forty five next week, and your team without any double starts, I'd say like three twenty. Okay, so you're projecting to beat me by about twenty. Yeah, I'd say about twenty. Okay, I was gonna make a bet that I would lose by less than forty. And see if you would take the bet on yeah, see, I'm me not, by more than 40. I'm not being roped into that one, sir. Yeah, so we'll, we'll pass on that. All right, enough about our league. Let's hop into what we're doing today. We'll go over some major league news and notes as well as some minor league news and notes. We'll talk a little bit about some risers. And then we'll kind of go and reflect on what's been going on, what we, ref- what we thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season and where it stands today. Some players we were right and wrong about. We each have a couple. And then kind of where we went wrong with our starting pitching rankings, who rose, who fell. So, Matt, let's just jump right into it. We'll start off with a horrible tragedy for the baseball world, and that is Walker Bueller has suffered a flexor strain in his throwing arm. He will be out six to eight weeks, and that's without even throwing so it looks like we're going to have him out at least until the middle of September. This takes us almost all the way through the fantasy baseball season. Devastating blow to his owners. But the thing is, who's going to fill his void? There is rumors that it could be Bobby Miller. Andrew Heaney is currently rehabbing in Double A. They did promote a prospect, Mitch Grove, I believe it was. But he is known as a reliever, so I think he's just added depth. What do you think happens to this Dodger rotation? I think it's I think it's patchwork until Dustin May comes back, and I think it could be a filler of Bobby Miller. Um, I think obviously Heaney steps back into that rotation. He was performing extremely well before, obviously going on the shelf. Uh, but you have arms coming, right? I talked about Dustin May. Dustin May is obviously going to be limited. There's going to have to be some guarantee that that control is also back, right? He's going to have to work his way into that job again which I don't think should be too much of an issue. It's just about repetition for him. He has the talent. He has the upside as a top, you know, top two in a rotation kind of pitcher with that velocity, that cutter, uh, and that off speed there. Uh, I do think Bobby Miller has a great pedigree in the minor leagues. I like what I've seen. I think there's a lot of Walker Buehler-esque in him. I just don't know that he's ready to make that jump fully quite yet. But I think with the patchwork that you have with those three players, the Dodgers as a team are going to be fine. And from a fantasy perspective, we might right, we might be right back in that frustrating standpoint come August where you have two or three guys that are rostered throughout leagues and you're just frustrated because they're not consistently getting a start every fifth or sixth day. That's kind of what I expect from this Dodgers team now. Yeah, I completely agree that it's going to be mix and match and who knows what will happen. But for those of you who do have him, you can change your team name to Bueller's Year Off, courtesy of Matt. So a new team name that will work wonders. It's nice, isn't it? <laughs> I do like it. I do like it. That was it was, uh, we were talking. We were talking crap last night at work because we have a lot of Dodger fans out here in Las Vegas, and uh, someone came. One of the girls came by the the service well, and she was like, "Oh, are you talking about Ferris Bueller?" And we were like, "No." And I was like, "It's more like 
Bueller's a year off. And we kind of laughed the guys because we're nerdy, right? And I was like, oh, that's really good, actually. Like, Bueller's a year off, which is kind of shitty because this does suck for the baseball world. But, um, hey, you got to make light of it while you can. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. Tim Anderson is set to begin a rehab assignment starting on Tuesday. He's been out with a growing screen. In his absence, Jake Berger has been playing. He's gotten some extended playing time. He has been red hot as of late, batting 500 and has a few home runs. I actually picked him up as he is third base, and I am struggling, so I will take anything with a beat. What do you think happens when Tim Anderson returns? Do you think Jake Berger will stay? Do you think he will get sent back down? Do you think he has earned a spot long term? I mean, if you just look at the performance that Berger's had over just the past week alone, he's had four two-hit games, and I think that's just kind of a, a, a notion that he's hot right now. But you and I kind of talked about him before we jumped on today. You know, formerly a high draft pick, had multiple serious injuries in the minor league stemming from that initial torn Achilles. Um, hasn't really had the opportunity to prove himself at the major league level, right? The White Sox are pretty committed to Jan Moncada after that Chris Sale trade. And that's really the spot that Berger would kind of be cemented in. The rest of the infield also had Madrigal last year. You obviously have Tim Anderson. So there hasn't really been this opportunity. Here it is. He, if he can continue to hit, I think he'll continue to stay in that lineup because, honestly, the White Sox without Eli Jimenez are really struggling to score runs at times. And I think Berger being the 11th overall pick formerly, being a college bat, you know, he's a little bit older at this point, so he's starting to age out of that prospect pedigree into those prime years. Now's the time to really see if you have something in him. Yeah, and I was taking a look at his baseball savant page before I picked him up ahead of our matchup, and I looked – at majority of his hitting statistics are all pretty well. The one thing that he's struggling in is his strikeout um, rate as well as his walk rate and his expected batting average is just middle of the pack. So I see him batting long term, kind of closer to that 225, 250 role. Maybe he gives you 25, 30 homers, but at third base when there's not much going on right now, could be a serviceable player, serviceable player, and might as well ride the wave while you can. Let's move on now. Andrew Kittredge is set to get Tommy John. He originally had loose bodies in his elbow. He came back from the aisle just recently, had a uh, save, but now it's looking like his season is over. There's not really anybody in the race system that kind of sticks out to me as this is the guy. I think they're going to go to a committee. But, Matt, is there anybody that you'd like to mention, or do you think it's going to be the same thing? I mean, I think from the Tampa perspective, it's going to be the same thing. Now, if we get to middle of July and we start to see some issues there, I could see them making a move for a, a top-end closer, right? Something that they haven't had in, in plenty of years. We saw this past offseason they made a, a run at Freddie Freeman, right, which is something not usually in their profile. So, I think at some point, if you want to be a truly a title contending team, you need to have that lockdown closer. And they've had a lot of great players come through that organization in just the last two or three years that have that closer ability. They just didn't really settle on a guy. And for them to finally settle on Kittredge in a way, it kind of sucks because I feel like he had the least amount of talent out of all these guys. But yeah, I feel like it's going to be mix and match and uh, don't really, I wouldn't play the closer carousel with these guys at all, in all honesty. No, neither would I. Steven Strasburg returned from the IL. 
His first outing was not as good as you'd like. It was against Miami. He went four and two-thirds, gave up eight hits, seven earned runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. He was returning from thoracic outlet syndrome, and his velocity was down. His fastball was only sitting right around 90-91, which is not good. This is a pitcher who has dealt with injuries throughout his career. Anybody who's ever drafted him in our league, Always knew, oh, you got the guy who's getting Tommy John this year. So is this the end of Steven Strasburg, Matt, or do you think he's just kind of shaking off some rust here? Yeah, I think we really need to give him, I'd say, two months. Uh, that velocity was down first start. I think it was hovering around 90-91 with that fastball, which is really concerning because peak Strasburg, you're sitting at 96-97, right? Even good Strasburg, 93-94. So with kind of the surgery he had being one that almost no pitcher has ever come back from successfully and been the same, I want to give him some time. There's always a, a case for a guy being the first to really break through. Um, and I think, honestly, with the talent level that we've seen with Strasburg, he may be able to reinvent himself. He has good off-speed pitches. He has an amazing changeup. You know, and having that changeup might just be a pitch that allows him to extend his career. But in terms of elite production, I do think the days of elite Strasburg are done. Yeah, I I just can't roll the dice on it. I just think it's it's over for him. But if you do believe in him, now might be the best time to buy low on him. The person who has him might be very disappointed in this outing, considering it was a lower-level team in the Miami Marlins. So maybe you can go and acquire him just some food for thought. Who would you – where would you pair him right now? If you were to just kind of take take an idea, like if we were to talk pitchers, guys that you feel like may be comparable, guys that you might feel um, – would be similar if you look at like our top 50 which is listed in our notes i think i would probably sit him around honestly that those last two guys the stroman the blake snell i think he'd be right after those guys in my rankings and again this was preseason so it's kind of hard to evaluate but probably outside the top 50 yeah i don't think i'd even i would for sure not have him in my top 50 i'd say probably somewhere closer to top 60 top 70 because there's players on here that um, we're looking at our pre preset um, top fifty rankings, and it doesn't include breakout people like Kyle Wright, Mackenzie Gore. You got to think of those guys too, Matt. Would you we don't rather have, have Kyle Hendricks or Steven Strasburg? <sighs> Probably Kyle Hendricks, just really? for the simple fact of I know he doesn't have the injury concern, doesn't have the decreased velocity. Okay. I mean that's that's good to know though. At least we know where you where you stand, kind of classification. But, I think Hendricks is like, Hendricks. You'd agree with this. He's fallen well out of our top fifty there. Oh, absolutely. He's got he's sporting a five twenty two ERA right now, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have the strikeout potential. I do think Strasburg has a higher ceiling than Kyle Hendricks, but I think Kyle Hendricks has a higher floor. But don't and you that, don't you want the higher ceiling at this point in the season? Yeah, but to wait, like like you said, you want to give it two months. We're already in the middle of June. So you're talking July, August. Now you're coming up on the fantasy playoffs. At that time, with everything going on, is that something you really want to wait around for? But are you are you even able to start Hendricks at this point? I kinda, if you look at this from a perspective of like Hendricks is already getting you negative value, what would it hurt to take a risk on a guy like Strasburg? Well, who... and I guess that's the thing is like, I personally, I wouldn't want Hendricks, so... Maybe Strasburg isn't rosterable. 
at mm. this current moment unless it's a, a deep league outside of uh top 12. Okay. I mean, if you have the room, you have to because if he somehow figures it out, I think he can get back into that top 50, top 40 starting pitchers, but I just don't see it with the injury risk and his age. Yeah, I mean, but again, you said it perfectly, right? You're talking about strikeouts and whether you're playing in categories, you're playing in points. You know, we'll just say a classification of a guy like um, Zach Davies or Kyle Hendricks, right? Like, you know, you're not going to get strikeouts. You know, they're going to give up four or five runs. You know, you know, they're not on good team, so you're not going to get a win. You look at Strasburg and it's like, okay, like if he can go out and give you five innings in eight Ks, right? Give up even four runs. Like that to me is X amount of more value than what the guys in that same tier can give me. So I think I have to place him above them, even if he's going to give me a game where he goes three and gives up seven. Um, because I, I just I think there's there's more counting stats all around for him. So let me ask you this. Just looking at our league, probably the best starting pitcher right now has been on and off of teams. Madison Bumgarner, sporting a 3-5 ERA, gets anywhere between four and seven strikeouts, has gone five to seven innings each of his last six and seven starts. Would you rather have Madison Bumgarner or Steven Strasburg? Okay, I'm going to do this with, from a perspective of uh, not with my team, okay? I'm just going to say, like, we'll, I'll pretend that I'm thinking about this from a neutral perspective of, you know, a balanced team or a, a lower-tier team. Um, I'm taking Strasburg, and it's not even close. I would also take Strasburg. Yeah. For, because, again, like... I, the ceiling's higher. I, I, and honestly, you can drop him if he's terrible and you need – you know, you can go get a different guy. Or there's one player on your roster that you can drop and go get a guy like a Spriggs, you know, or a Thompson. Oh, wait, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can find a way to just hold on. But I, I just feel like Strasburg has – at this point, he has a higher ceiling than almost anybody on this waiver wire outside of some of these prospects that we're going to talk about in a little bit. You know what I mean? Like – it's kind of a graveyard in a lot of leagues. Yeah. I don't want to get caught up on Strasburg any longer. Let's move on. Corey Knebel has been feeling tightness in his shoulder. That could be a reason why he's been struggling. Is there anything you are concerned about with Corey Knebel? He hasn't been healthy in years. You know, like the idea that he's going to make it through an entire season is kind of ridiculous to me. Like he gets a full-time job finally and like, you know, here we are. I think it was a mistake in, in the entire parameter of the Phillies general manager deciding that he was going to be the closer. Like, sure, he was great with Milwaukee and he had some really high upside with the Dodgers. But uh, I, I just think I think this is ultimately the usage. All right. Jack Flaherty is set to start his third rehab. Uh, in his last one, he went 58 pitches, and it looks like he might be on the mend. I'm a little anxious because I'm curious to see if he's a Jack Flaherty that we like to see that is ace potential or the one that is kind of injury-prone and is all over the place. What are your thoughts on Jack Flaherty, Matt? I can't agree with you more. I'm not excited. I am um, you know, kind of anticipating to just see how it goes. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had him for so many years, and I've seen the ups. I've seen the downs. Uh, you said it best, you know, he has been injury ridden. And at this point, if he can come back and just be a pitcher at, at first, I'll be happy and we'll kind of really monitor it and see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. We both have stakes. I have him in my categories league. You have him in our dynasty league. So we both have stocks in this guy. 
Moving on, Tyler Stevenson, catcher for the Cincinnati Reds, is going to be out at least four weeks with a broken hand after, I believe it was a foul tip that hit him in his hand. So that's no good. But on the flip side, Gabriel Moreno was called up yesterday. So it could be a potential replacement for you. Matt, what are your two thoughts on these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Moreno a lot. He was a guy I rostered last year with the anticipation that he might be called up. He did incur an injury last year. Uh, power has not been there in the minor leagues this year. We're talking about a kid that is a very, very good line drive hitter, good contact ball player. It's actually funny, though. You picked up the guy that I would actually encourage our listeners to pick up if it's still at all possible, which is Alejandro Kirk, uh, which we have so famously talked about preseason, which you were not really bought into, which I was... Hey, hey, don't get ahead of yourself. We'll be talking about him shortly. We'll be talking about him Um, shortly. But I think think Moreno might be in and out of the lineup with Kirk there. Um, Who is the third catcher they have on this team? I know that... um, Zach Collins, you're thinking Zach Collins, yes, 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 yes. They have a pro- they have a plethora there. So, you know, DH is an opportunity, but Alejandro Kirk obviously hitting well, hitting over 300. I think, um, again, the waiver wire right now also has a lot of opportunity in itself. I think teams are going to be dropping Yosemite Grandal pretty soon. Uh, you also have the Contreras brother. Um, is it William Contreras? William, William Contreras. Yeah, He's kind of slowed down and kind of lost some playing time recently, but he was hot just a few weeks ago. And did hit a home run. I think it was either today or yesterday. Uh, a lot of power. So there's replacement options, right? And Tyler Stevenson's a guy that started off the season pretty, pretty slow and then kind of caught fire. So I think you'll be okay with that. Yeah, Gabriel Moreno, as of right now, has gone one for seven with a walk and a run so far. I kind of have a feeling that he's going to struggle a little bit out of the gate here, kind of like what happened with Jose Miranda, maybe a little MJ Melendez here with these guys that come up. They kind of struggle out of the gate, get called back down or get sent back down, and then they come back up. So I think you might see some Zach Collins, Gabriel Moreno going back and forth with Alejandro Kirk taking the catcher and DH duties. I think he gets majority of the playing time here. That's just my initial thoughts and feelings on it. Well, and it's it's interesting you bring that up. I was kind of thinking about this and pondering this uh, just yesterday in regards to the prospect issues we've had this year. And there's really only one player that doesn't fit this mold, but um, we're really starting to see the guys with true raw power, the prospects, that is, come up and actually stick. You know, like look at Nolan Gorman. Like he had a great start, has had some ups and downs with the strikeouts. MJ Melendez, it took like a week and a half or two weeks for him to find his his real groove. But like, again, raw power has found his place. He's a usable fantasy player and he's a solid big leaguer. Um, and I, I think when we look at prospects and their promotions, you really have to identify, do they have that plus plus raw power? Because in the environment they're playing with the ball they're playing, they're going to need to be able to drive the ball naturally, as opposed to Moreno, who's again, a line drive hitter. You're probably going to see more of just that average. we have a guy we're going to talk about a little bit later that I'm kind of shocked doesn't have more raw power translating into the fantasy numbers, but it's just who they are. You know, they're line drive hitters, and, and those balls aren't going out of the ballpark just yet. Yeah, I've noticed that too. You would think that the guys with the hit tools would come out, swing in, and just translate perfectly, but it seems to be the power guys this this year, which is interesting. The last major league news and notes is Joey Votto has come back from the COVID list and seems to have figured out his groove. He has been on fire, and just watching some of the highlights – it looks like he's been he's had like three home runs robbed of him in the past week. He had two at 
the Red Sox stadium, as well as one against the Diamondbacks. The center fielder, I'm blanking on his name, robbed him of a one that went high up over the 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 fence to get it. So Joey Votto looks to be back. Picked him up just in time for our matchup, so we'll see if he can continue to do that. Any thoughts on Votto, Matt? Yeah, I mean, starting while he's hot, right? I think if you look at his profile last year, he gave about a month, month and a half, two-month stretch where he was absolutely torrid, you know, probably one of the best first basemen, if not the best. And you want to get him and get those productive numbers while you can because so Joey Votto is at this point in the career, you know, whether it's a really good start or really bad start, he evens out, but he always has this really long stretch now where you're going to be able to use him. Yeah. Let's move on now to some minor league news. We're going to highlight just four players for you guys because we do want to talk about and reflect on our uh, starting pitching rankings. So Corbin Carroll has been on fire in his last 10 games. He's betting 359 with two home runs, nine RBIs, 10 runs, and three doubles, four double A. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets promoted to triple A, but I think the Diamondbacks are trying to do everything they can to prevent him from rising through the rankings because I think they want to have him come up next year, not this year. I know you have a little different take on that, Matt, but anything you want to say on Corbin Carroll? Yeah, I mean, we know this. I think it's been two weeks since we talked about Carroll last, and I agree with you. I, I do think they are trying to suppress his movement through the system because they want to control that service time, which I think at this point is a mistake. Alec Thomas is already up. These are going to be your two outfielders of the future. Get them up together. Now, I do think Carroll should be in AAA by now. I mean, he's absolutely torching AA. Um, but I have actually an interesting little tidbit of knowledge here for you. So different podcasts, the 367 Prospect podcast I listened to, um, notified me of a trade that was made in a Dynasty League. And you're going to find this outlandish. So Dynasty League, just assume full-time keepers, you know, no contracts. An individual traded Corbin Carroll, straight up, just in individually, Corbin Carroll, for Hunter Green. Marcelo Meyer, two first-round picks from 2023 and 2024. How outrageous is that trade? It seems like a lot for Corbin Carroll, but he is getting a lot of helium right now, and it's looking like he's pretty good. But I think the Hunter Green and Marcelo Meyer in a straight-up dynasty context, it would be enough. Correct. But it's the fact that it's the two first round picks in 23 and 24 that gets me those are significant value right there and i think that's overpaying a little bit correct and and i i think and this was a cat this was categories leagues so the categories league so categories are rodo right so there's really big time value in a guy that can hit 300 with 20 and 20 um, and I think that's what Carroll's going to be. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily think that power is going to translate immediately. I think that 14 home runs he has in Double A right now is probably exaggeration with the environment and possibly the ball down there. Um, but the guy's going to hit 300. He's probably going to have 10 home runs in his first full season. Probably going to steal 20, 25 bags. In categories and rotos, those are really, really, really important numbers. But I think you can find those kinds of numbers with some of the other players that we have coming up, like Riley Green as well. You know, you've got a couple other outfielders that are on their way up that have some talent. Um, Gunnar Henderson for the Orioles, also playing really well, promoted to AAA this past week. You know, you, there's talent coming with speed, so a lot to give up. Yeah, I would take the side with Hunter Green, Marcelo Meyer, Easy. the two first-round picks. Yeah. Hands down, that the guy who traded with Corbin Carroll, A plus to you. The guy who acquired Corbin Carroll, you yeah. get an F. <laughs> <laughs> get a fat Absolutely. F. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on to the other big catching prospect, and that is Francisco Alvarez. He's been on fire the last 10 games. He's betting 324 with five home runs, 10 RBIs, 11 runs, four doubles in double A. I personally think this guy has way more of a higher ceiling than Gabriel Moreno. I think he's a little further behind in his development, but I think it's only a matter of time before he gets up to AAA. I think there is a chance we might see him by the end of the year if he gets moved up to AAA and translates his average and power. Um, but more realistically, we might be seeing him as kind of that catcher who gets a lot of helium at the beginning of spring training, kind of like Joey Bart, kind of like Kybert Ruiz, you know, Dalton Varsho, how they got it this year. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and it's interesting. We had a manager in our fantasy league that actually made that swap a few weeks ago. They chose to drop Alvarez and pick up Moreno. And at the time, I was like, ooh, interesting. I don't like that. Um, I, I like the raw power from Alvarez. That kind of did the conversation you and I were just having about these guys coming up. The kid has plus, plus raw power. There's no question about it. I don't know that as he continues to get to AAA in the majors, if he's going to hit above a 210 before he figures it out, not saying that he doesn't have that ability. I just think with that profile, he may have more holes in his swing. But I also think that's going to keep him in the lineup is that power. Um, and he's 20 years old. I mean, he's, he's a kid still. So I think out of all the, the prospects, outside of probably MJ Melendez, I think I like Alvarez, at least in our format of Dynasty, more. Even over Adley Rutschman, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, Rutschman struggled, and I think Rutschman can be good, but I just love this plus power. Yeah, especially at the catcher position. I like guys who have the power versus the hit tool. Yep. Just because maybe it's just superstition, maybe it's just me, but it doesn't matter if you have a hit tool at the catcher position. I feel like it never translates. It's very rare for you to see a catcher actually hit above 250, 275 these these days, who is it? JT Real Muto is the last one that you can really think that hit above 300, maybe Buster Posey in his prime in the past well, 10 years. But outside of that, can you think of anybody? I mean, even look at Joe, Joe Maurer's profile. And Joe Maurer was coming to the end of his career when we started playing fantasy baseball. But I remember Maurer not being as valuable as other catchers because he was a 300 hitter. That would hit you 10 home runs, right? I think his MVP season... He hit like 25 home runs. Um, great season, right? Like he hit like 330 with 25 home runs. We'd have to look at the numbers. But um, usually Maurer was hitting like 10, 15 home runs, and it was like, well, other guys were hitting bombs and driving in runs. Like it was just as productive in your fantasy league, but obviously not in real baseball. So fully agree with you. But then you think of guys like Gary Sanchez when they came up, mm -hmm. tremendous power. And I remember you picked him up that year. And it was insane. He pretty much rode you to, I don't know if you won the championship that year, but took you through a deep playoff run. I know that for sure. And I don't want to compare Gary Sanchez to Francisco Alvarez, but I kind of get those vibes of when he comes up, I think he's going to hit for power. Yeah, maybe he might only hit 200, 225, like you said. But if he pops you 20, 30 home runs over the course of a half a season, three quarters of a season, that is definitely going to do wonders. Well, and to that point, right, like I, I said, he may have a hole in his swing, but pitchers might also be challenging him, right? He might be getting fastballs, and he might be getting fastballs right where he likes them, much like Gary Sanchez did for that month and a half where pitchers just didn't understand yet where to pitch Gary, and he's launching home runs one or two every single other game. I could see Alvarez doing that. I think that's a great comp by you. 
All right, let's move on. Yuri Perez, another starting pitcher for Miami in Double A. He has been on fire lately. He started the season with a 6.23 ERA, but he has now dropped it down to a 3.5 ERA, 3.51 ERA. He's got 58 strikeouts in only 41 innings. But what the thing to note here is he only has nine walks in those 41 innings. That's something you like to see. He is pretty young, and the Miami Marlins do have a tremendous uh, depth in their pitching um, pool down there. So I don't think we see him this year, maybe not even next year, but this is definitely somebody to keep an eye on dynasty leagues. Um, if you have the roster space, maybe grab him, stash him. Anything you want to note on Yuri Perez? You know, man, and I don't know if this is going to be a thing. We're going to tell with Yuri here, um, but I'm starting to be concerned by the Miami organization when it comes to health and conditioning of these players you look at Sixto you look at Cabrera um, I guess that's really the only two that I, I can use for evidence here but these kids they come up and they're hurt all the time right and I want to see what happens with Cabrera over the, the course of the rest of this season going into next year I don't know that we're ever going to see Sixto pitch on a regular basis in the major leagues he might just be an outlier uh, where he's just a guy that's hurt right but well, and then you also got to look look at Zach Allen, who they traded to the Diamondbacks. He's injured, yeah. and he also has elbow injuries. Yeah. Not saying the Miami Marlins did it to him, but I mean, but some organizations is it coincidence. You no, know, but or, you're or, you're right. Some organizations are known and not known for doing things properly or better than others, and then the opposite classification there, right? Like doing some things worse. Maybe my, whatever Miami's doing is it's just not helping the longevity of these pitchers. Also, to think about some of these guys, these are kids. You know, Yuri's like, what, 18, 19 years old in double A? He's a child. Uh, I think he's 19 or 20, maybe. Okay, yeah, but still so young. Like, he has no business being in the major leagues. I hope they don't pitch him past 75 innings this year. Shut him down, you know, like bring him along slowly. No, they're not going to do it, but we'll see. Let's move on now to the last person, and this is somebody who's caught my eye recently, and that is Spencer Steer. He's a middle infielder for the Minnesota Twins. Mm -hmm. He's currently at AAA. He started the year out in AA. He was a third-round pick for them. He's been batting 279 since being promoted to AAA. He has eight home runs since then. He also batted eight home runs to start in AA, so he's got 16 total mm -hmm. on the year. When he was in AA, he was batting 307. This is somebody who's kind of rising. He's not in the top 100 picks, but just somebody to note, keep an eye on. I feel like the Minnesota Twins do pretty well with their hitters bringing them up. So if he can continue this trend, I think maybe we could see him as a uh, late call-up or maybe even maybe crack the roster next year. I don't know if you know too much about him, Matt, but anything you want to note on Steer? Not necessarily steer, but Minnesota has another young prospect that we talked about a few weeks ago that I really like. They have some good kids kind of like emerging into what I will imagine will be the top 100 in this coming off season's rankings. Um, I do have a fifth real quick just to, to mention it. We did mention him a little bit earlier, either on the podcast or right before. Ken Waldachuk for the Yankees, uh, AAA affiliate, 24 years old. Kid's a lefty. Uh, he was featured on MLB Pipeline's Instagram account today. If you're not following, Richie and I follow. Go follow. Kind of cool. You know, just gives you a weekly update. Sometimes highlights some of the better players. But Ken is out of his mind. Uh, I'm going to read you some numbers, Richie. So 10 games this year, 5-1, and one, one four four ERA, 50 innings pitched, 76 strikeouts. Really nice there, K9. Uh, .9 whip, 
very good, right? Kids ready, obviously, for a big league opportunity. Yankees rotation, clearly not an opportunity yet. But this is what's more important. His ML, uh, his total minor league career, 43 games, 11 and 6, 271, 189 innings pitched. Again, 189 innings pitched, 288 strikeouts with a 1.05 whip. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Pretty so nice. if uh, he's, he's a triple A, right? He's a triple A. Yeah. yeah. He's a triple A. So I, I think if there's opportunity, um, you know, he might be a guy that we'll talk about a little bit later on, you know, on risers. But um, I think, again, it's, it's all about opportunity, right? These kids have to have an, uh, a chance to pitch in rotation. And the Yankees' rotation right now is pretty strong. And even in our shallow dynasty league, he got snatched up last week, I believe by one of the teams that is currently in a rebuild. So not the worst addition to his team. No, and, you know, you look at uh, Aaron Ashby and what he's been able to do with the Brewers, and I think this is kind of how I'm going to cater my pitching prospects moving forward in Dynasty Leagues, just the high strikeout guys. You know, you had Reed Detmers last year. You really liked him. Um, high strikeout guys with one plus, plus, plus pitch. And I think what I saw from from Ken was a sweeping, it looked like a sweeping slider, possibly a curveball. Detmers, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a curveball, correct? Yeah, and I don't know, was this you I was talking to or was it somebody else? But the reason why I think Reed Detmers did so well with his strikeout rate in the minors is these minor league players don't see curveballs too often. So when they see a plus-plus curveball like Reed Detmers, he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. But then when you come up to the majors, yeah, you got a filthy curveball, but everybody in the majors knows how to hit curveballs. And I think that's kind of what lowered his strikeout ability for the majors. But that's just my thoughts. Well, and he also throws a sweeper too, right? He doesn't throw a 12-6. Is that is that fair? You've seen more starts of Detmers than I have. Yeah. It's not like a complete 12-6, but I wouldn't say it's a sweeper. It's got a little left-to-right move or right-to-left movement. Okay, I almost um, would prefer a 12-6 to in the majors. I see more success on the 12-6, to especially the hard ones, uh, because the sweepers, you're almost better throwing a slider at this point. You know what I mean? Right. Like the slider is the like, predominant strikeout, 100%. And you can see the spin. I think that was a big thing, right? Talked about a lot now is if you can see the stitching, these guys, are they're just not going to swing at it, you know? they're gonna Or they're going to wait for it to be a meatball. Or even like the other guy, like Julio Urias, he's got that 12 to 6 uh, curveball. But like pitchers, when they see it, if they catch the curveball at the right time, it's gone. It's a home run. Mm-hmm. But when Julio Urias has it working, he'll strike out 10 guys yep. like he did today. Yep. Yeah, so because they, they, it falls off the table. They have no chance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on now and reflect on some of our starting pitching rankings from the beginning of the year. I think the biggest one here is Shane McClanahan. You had him as a top 30 starting pitcher. I had him as a, where did I have him? I had him as top 34. He's looking like a top five starting pitcher. The other one that we liked a lot was Justin Verlander. We didn't rank rank him that high, even though we had very good thoughts on him. I had him as uh, number 26. You had him, and where did you have him? Thirteen. You, you, you did have him. You were higher up on him. So bravo to you, Matt. Yeah, but I mean, we. I'm cautious with this because if you look at Verlander's baseball savant, it is, it's no bueno. Uh, I think his FIPS around a three four, if I remember correctly, looking last week. Um, so there is some concern, but really, when I looked at the savant, it was what it told me was that hey, this guy may not have the predominantly like juicy stuff he used to, but kind of like Adam Wainwright, 
he just knows what he's doing out there. He knows how to limit limit damage. And it's funny, Verlander, especially after you get into the seventh inning with him, he really struggles. Again, today gave up four runs. Now all four were unearned because there were a few errors in that inning. Um, but Verlander, again, you know, if you drafted him this year, you're definitely reaping the rewards of a guy that probably was cheaper than he should have been. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree. And if Baseball Savant has told us anything, you can't trust it because look at Keegan Thompson, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, I think I'm very cautious now. Like this is really the first year I've really did, like dove into Savant and, and fan graphs and like really started to understand the sabermetrics. And um, there are things at times that you have to read into and have to use like that variable rate, like Verlander's age and his experience. I think it, it overplays some of the numbers that you're going to see, whereas opposed to Keegan Thompson's kind of the opposite, right? 25-year-old, first real opportunity in the rotation. He has reliever appearances this season, and I was telling you, right, everything's in the red, but it's it's really deceiving red, and, and those are things as you start to use these tools that I think you start to see trends and you start to understand how to use them better. Well, the other thing with baseball savant is it doesn't tell you, hey, when a guy's on first and second and there's one or two outs and you only have a one to two run lead you know you got the pressure of not giving up you got the home crowd cheering or booing you like they don't add that in there and there's no way to really quantify that but i did pull up keegan thompson's uh baseball savant and he's no longer in the red everything's in the blue he's sitting around the 30 40th percentile so maybe he was a, a facade but he still does have a 91st percentile on his fastball spin, which is good. So I don't know. Maybe you stream him against some juicy matchups. Otherwise, I wouldn't trust him and probably would have spite dropped him just as you did. Yeah. And, um, you know, just kind of looking at a couple of these other guys on the top 50 here, I'm kind of just staring at one through like 25 right now. Uh, again, this is preseason. You and I did this, which I should probably redo this in the next coming weeks for our midseason review. But um, you know, Robbie Ray, I, I think I was, I think I bought into the hype there at 15. I've got Charlie Morton at 16, who had a nice 10 strikeout performance this week. But I hate Charlie Morton. I think he's washed. I don't know why I listed him at 16. Uh, Jose Barrios at 20. I, I would have loved to drop him down the list. I just didn't have the balls to do it. Um, Logan Webb at 21, which is probably around where he's falling this year. Again, another guy I would have loved to drop farther down. Uh, Lance Lynn, we haven't seen yet there at 23. Luis Castillo at 27, right? Probably can drop him down. But Joe Musgrove is the last one I'll kind of highlight here at 28. That's, I think, the biggest surpriser with Alex Manoa this year um, in regards to, like, they're good, but not as good as they've been. Well, Joe Musgrove is been having a great year so far so i think he's at if anything a riser i had him at 24 um, yeah but if yeah, you look Alec at his Mano if you look at his numbers though like what he's actually doing i don't think joe musgrove's that good i think he's good but so is it seven and oh now with like a one five era i mean you can't you can't deny the results you know correct but i guess what i'm saying is regression is coming Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. You can't sustain a one Correct. ERA it's impossible. completely undefeated. Yeah. But I would say from our preseason rankings, oh, I think yeah. he's Are you definitely kidding? better than where we had him. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think the biggest faller out of this is I had Trevor Rogers at 33. I think he's outside the top 75 now. What do you think? Where You had him exactly at 32 as well. I mean, you have a little more hope for him than I do, but 
I mean, he's just not the same guy. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, he played Washington this week, had five innings, two runs, five Ks. But it's Washington. <sighs> no, no, you know, I know, like... I know, I know. I understand that. Um, but if you can be useful, I, I hold hope. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at just his last five starts, we've got 14 points, negative two, four, two, 18, six. Like, on a bad team... I'm okay starting Rodgers if I'm in a rebuilding dynasty league um, with the hope that he's going to find his way. But in regards to what we expected preseason at 32, 33, you know, Framber Valdez is sitting there at 33 right behind him in my rankings. And honestly, if I had said to you preseason, I'll give you Framber Valdez for your Rodgers, what would you have said? Oh, absolutely. Hands down, yeah. Really? I was really worried about Trevor Rodgers. Okay. Ever since he got back from his what was it? It was like he was gone at the end of the season on some family leave that was undisclosed. He was gone for about a month. He came back for about three to four starts and they weren't great, but they weren't bad. They were like five, six innings. He only had like two or three strikeouts with like two or three runs. So kind of flew under the radar. If you didn't have him on your team and you weren't paying attention, you'd be like, Oh yeah, it's just, you know, Trevor Rogers, (laughs) you know, but like his strikeouts were down. So I would have, taken that in a heartbeat but i don't think you would have ever offered that to me but it's in our rankings you know yeah it's funny how you said i think you said that perfectly there's a there's a lot of these players where if they're on your team you notice things that other people wouldn't especially concerning things right um absolutely and it's also funny how i i personally undervalued for amber valdez i think all the trade offers and the people in our league also undervalued him I guess I I think he's a I think he's an outlier, Richie. I, I want to talk about him for a minute because I just don't understand how this guy continues to be so good with really a very simple skill set, which is is just the ability to induce ground balls and and go deep into games, right? Seven, eight innings. Well, I also wonder if it's just a Houston Astros thing. You look mm, at yeah. like Luis Garcia; he's pretty pretty good, but like. If you tried to trade, like if the Luis Garcia owner tried to trade him, I bet you he wouldn't get what he thought he'd be worth. Yeah, I mean Luis Garcia, you know, just, he he had a bad game this week, but I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I agree with you. And then like outside of Justin Verlander, they don't really have any usable pitchers. But like Justin Verlander doesn't really qualify in this category because it's Justin Verlander, you know, like. I'm trying to think. I'm going to try to say a comparable. Like if Carlos Rodon was on the Houston Astros, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like, and I can't say this because Carlos Rodon has also been a huge riser, but I feel like he would get downgraded a little bit just because he's a Houston Astro. And there's that, there's still that stigma in the back of everybody's minds of the trash can banging. Well, you know? I don't know if it's even the trash can banging. I think it's probably the lack of pedigree from their prospect days. If you look at Valdez, you look at your Quiddy, and you look at Garcia, all three were guys that were supposed to be like in and out of the rotation as a fifth starter. You know, like I think your Quiddy out of all of them probably had the most prospect pedigree and like he's the worst out of the three. But Valdez was a guy very similar um to who's the kid for who's the mustache boy Nestor Cortez yeah you know a guy that was like ah maybe he'll stick maybe he'll be a long reliever and then you look at Christian Javier kind of the same thing if you look at what Valdez was I I just think it's a lack of pedigree 
Um, cause look at Garcia last year, you and I literally talked about him. We were like, nah, we're not buying it. And then Reed picks him up and he has, well, this no, run. it was the opposite. I was buying into Luis Garcia cause of his ground ball rate. And that's why Reed picked him up. Um, I think you didn't really buy it. And I was trying to argue why you should believe it. Yeah. I should have picked him up so Reed could have him. But again, like <laughs> I think this Either season way. I'm kind of out on Luis Garcia. Um, I think at that 31, I'd actually have him dropping down my rankings. Yeah, I would agree. But but reviewing on our season, I think not much terribly changed outside of our top 35-40. It's once you get outside the 40, that's when you really start to see Ranger Suarez I had at 40. I wouldn't put him in the top 50 anymore. You know, we have Logan Gilbert. I think he rises a little bit, but still in that range. Patrick Sandoval kind of still in that range. He has some great outings, but he also still hasn't proven the consistency. Dylan Cease I had at 43. I would rise him a little bit, but he still has shown, been prone to some blow-up games. Luis Garcia at 44, we talked about. 45, Sonny Gray, drop him out. 46, Eduardo Rodriguez, man, he was a bust. 47, I had Aaron Savali, bust. Clevenger, injured. Bassett at 49, I'd put him outside. He hasn't been looking good. And then 50, Adam Wainwright, I would have rised. Yeah, and a couple names. Um, Kyle Wright, we you know didn't see that coming. I don't think anyone really could have. I think you and I probably could have taken a deeper look with his playoff production. Well, and kind he of... wasn't even he wasn't even like scheduled to be in the starting rotation. There was still the the fight back then with Spencer Strider and blinking on the other guy was it Tucker Davidson. So we didn't even know who was correct going to be the... correct. But if you remember. I'm, you might have to like rack your brain a little bit here, but when you your Quiddy had that great postseason three or four years ago with the Houston Astros, right? I mean, it was a really, really good postseason. Um, coming in the following year, I think either I kept him or wanted to draft him because I had saw this playoff performance and I was like, oh my god, the kid's going to be a two five ERA. He's going to win twenty games. You know, he's probably not going to strike out more than one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty, but he's got it. A lot of people on Twitter said that's what they felt like from Kyle Wright in the postseason. And it's like, I didn't see that. But I think those are things that I'm going to be interested in looking at next year. Also, we've talked about this. He was a high-end draft pick. He was a kid that didn't necessarily get hurt but couldn't find that consistency in that production. And here we are at age 26, 27. He's kind of found how to pitch and he's found his control. So definitely a riser out of all these guys. I do think we're going to see some regression second half. Um, I, I just think it's going to be natural. I don't think you can sustain a 2-3 ERA. His whip's nice, though, 102. You know, like, let's see if he can keep that control. That was an issue Rodgers had last year, right? Lost the control. Once the control went, everything else also went. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the last segment we're going to talk about. And I guess it's kind of us ripping on each other as well as <laughs> boasting our own boat and there's just a couple guys that we were right about and guys we were wrong about and i'm gonna start by roasting you tell you that i think i was right about Seiya suzuki and you were wrong i came out and i said that with his uppercut swing he's gonna come out hit a bunch of home runs and i think that that's when you should sell high because pitchers will adjust and they will adapt to him now he is on the il but he did start out strong, but since then he's now batting 240. I don't think you can no longer trade him for a top 20 outfielder. Would you agree, Matt, or what do you have to say about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I I agree with you. I We had this conversation you know, on the podcast. I, I just said to you, I'm not really sure who I can trade him for 
because it just didn't last long enough. Had it lasted like one more week, I think I probably could have actually gotten some like real high end value for him. Um, but with the production he was giving, it was kind of like, okay, like at this point, I think I'm better holding because I just won't be able to get even probably a top 10. Now, if I had been able to get like Kyle Schwarber for him, I think I would have done that. Uh, but you were definitely right. I want to see what the rest of his season has. He's in that position right now where he needs to respond, right? The pitchers responded. It's his time to respond. Come off the IL. If by, you know, for that first week of August, we're still seeing this trajectory that he's showing, I'm going to be really concerned for the rest of his career because at that point, like, you should have made an adjustment. Yeah, and I'm not saying that he's not going to be a serviceable or usable player i still think he can be a top 40 maybe top 50 outfielder but i don't think he has the upside of a top 15 top 20 outfielder anymore i think if he does come out and readjust to him i think at best he can get to the top 30 and that's kind of where i see him being the rest of the way but i wouldn't think he's usable until he can come back and figure out how to adjust to these pitchers yeah i mean i agree with you i think he's probably like career-wise, if I were to put him on a trajectory right now, I think you you roster Mike Yastrzemski. I think he's probably a little better than Mike Yastrzemski because of that power, because of that ballpark too, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I would say Yastrzemski's got the better batting average, yeah, but yeah. Suzuki has the better power. Yeah, I so I would kind of probably throw them in the same bag there. Um, but again, we have to see, like... Anytime a guy goes on a stretch like that for two weeks, it's hard because Aristino's Aquino, right? We, we, I will always date back. In 20 years when we're doing this, I will talk about Aristino's Aquino. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was incredible. And now he's a bum, right? Like, he's not rosterable. Not even in the majors. Oh, I think he he actually, I think he is because I think he got hurt oh, today. He? Yeah, he's okay. like in and out of being injured. But, but yeah, not a guy that you'd ever use. And honestly... You could have probably traded him for Mike Trout three weeks into that run he had. That's a joke, of course, but right. um, but I agree with you. All right, let's move on to the next one. It's one I was wrong and one you were right about, and that is Alejandro Kirk. You kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast, but I wanted you to wait. I was wrong on Alejandro Kirk. I don't think I even had him in my top 20s catcher rankings but you had him what top five top seven I'm gonna bang the drum on this one i'm really proud of this one um i think i did have him tops like seven probably and dude i was just i was being bullish you know i was like this little pudgy kid like i like him as the cbs guys would say a big beefy baseball boy oh we'll call him a little beefy baseball boy because he's like five eight three yeah (laughs) (laughs) no i mean he's been great man and you picked him up this week because a team an absolute moron in our league dropped him um you know sorry tanner but well so i would i'm gonna argue for this guy but it wasn't the right move i wouldn't have done it he's going for a rebuild so he went and picked up francisco alvarez but i you got to ride out alejandro kirk you know but I'm not going to blame him, but I would have dropped other persons besides. There were plenty of other players, right? And, like, don't get me wrong. I agree with you. Like, I love Alvarez. We have that conversation. But Kirk is he's playing at an elite level right now for a team that should only get better throughout the season with those counting stats. They The players around him should get better. Well, and you're hoping Alvarez turns into something like Kirk, right? So, like, why not just hold on to Kirk? Yes, and I actually was talking to that owner, and he was like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. And I actually traded with that owner for Giancarlo Stanton, and he, in trade talks, jokingly said, well, 
you have to think you're getting Kirk and Stan because technically I traded them to you. <laughs> and I was oh, like, no, 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 that's it doesn't not work. How it that works. Way. Yeah, that's not that's not how this works. But anyways, speaking of Kirk, I picked him up for three dollars in our Dynasty League. And you had a one dollar bid on him. Uh, another owner had a one dollar bid on him. But it wasn't even you two that I was picking him up to spite. I was picking him up to spite the owner who had Tyler Stevenson. And I picked up Kirk because I thought he was going to be going for him. And it just worked out well for me. Now, Matt, if you knew the circumstances or had an inkling, where do you think you would have? Do you think you would have went higher than $3? Do you think knowing the circumstances... Would you have done anything differently, or do you think you still would have won a dollar knowing that I probably was going to put a bid in? Well, I mean, this is interesting all around, and I think that the deeper conversation here is, um, you know, kind of looking at how I constructed my roster right now. I, in the draft, got Yasmani Grandal for $6. I thought that was a great steal. You know, um, Wilson Contreras ended up going a little, little bit later for also $6, which now in hindsight, good Lord, I wish I had Wilson Contreras. But I have kind of stuck by Grandal this year and said, okay, like he'll turn it around. Just got to wait it out. This past week, I finally looked at his baseball savant for the last couple of years, started to identify the fact that Grandal is definitely a second-half hitter, but especially last year with his OPS above 1,000, really the end of August um, and all of September, it was like, okay, I might have to wait a really long time for this. And we've gotten to the point where Alejandro Kirk has finally become what I thought he would. He's probably even better than what I thought he would because of the playing time. I didn't think he'd play this much. And I was like, hey, you know what? This is the time to dump Grandal. I do have MJ Melendez as a safety net who's kind of bouncing between catcher and utility. So like Kirk and Melendez would basically be what Melendez and my complete waste of space Grandal is. Um, I don't think I could have gone $5. I think at this point with the depth that we're starting to have at the catching position, $5 is a little bit much. But ultimately, you made the, the right call. You blocked another manager who had a desperate need and now has a glaring hole in Gabriel Moreno. Don't get me wrong. I like Moreno. We talked about this, but he's not Melendez. He's not Alvarez. He's not Kirk. He, those guys are, are a different breed right now. Um, and Kirk honestly doesn't have necessarily that power, but he he's in 330, right? And he pops a home run when he needs to. And he's hot right now, which is also a mm -hmm. reason why I'm going to ride the wave, and I'm benching JT Rio Muto for Alejandro Kirk next week against you. Nice. Don't know if you knew that or not. I did know that. I did know that. I like that move. So, risking it for the biscuit. Mm. And then the last one we have on here is Liam Hendricks. You told the podcast listeners a few weeks ago to get rid of Hendricks before he falls off a cliff. It looks like he's back to normal after his, I don't even remember what he was out for, but he is uh, looking better than ever. He's got 16 saves with a 2.81 ERA. Hasn't given up a run in his last seven outings. So he's looking like the Liam Hendricks of old. Anything else you want to note on this, Matt? So with all of that being said, I should look for Liam Hendricks to lose you our matchup. Uh, sounds good. We will, Correct. We yes, will date yeah, you so. next week with that information. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. All right, well, on our next podcast, maybe we'll reflect on some of the other positions, maybe just pick out one or two that we want to talk about, who we were right on, who we were wrong on and uh, get some other info for you guys. Until then, we'll talk to you guys later.